If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to the 21st chapter of Matthew, Matthew 21. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are grateful and thankful to be here today, thankful for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for your love and grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that we can declare that there is no one, no one better than you, no one greater than you, uh, no one holier than you, no one better than you in our lives. Thank you for your goodness. And now, Lord, as we dive into the Word of God here this morning, we ask that you would open up our understanding, that you would challenge our hearts, that you would uh, bring us to a place, Lord, where the Word becomes a part of who we are, and we give you all the thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 12. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And he said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? And he left them and went out of the city into the Bethany, and he lodged there. I want to share a message with you this morning that I've entitled, The Season to Clean House. The Season to Clean House. Uh, This is Easter month, as Don mentioned. Easter is the last Sunday in March, March 31st this year. It's a little bit early. Um, And we are obviously in a season of preparation as we turn our hearts and our minds towards the core of our faith, which is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what I want us to do is to, to focus our attention on the importance of us always keeping the reality of the cross and the resurrection before us. We are in a season that's called traditionally called Lent. Uh, I know here at the church we don't officially recognize uh, Lent, but Lent is basically a 40-day commemoration of uh, uh, people will. The reason why a lot of us don't follow Lent is because it's hard. You're supposed to fast. Uh, you're supposed to pray, spend time in prayer. You're supposed to learn self-sacrifice uh, during this 40-day time period. Normally, you do get to take Sundays off, so if you're, taking a, if, you're taking a, if you're doing a fast, you can gorge yourself on Sunday, I guess, in celebration, right? Uh, but it, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, preparation time in which uh, we are, are turning our focus towards uh, Easter. Now, the, the 40 days is supposed to be in commemoration of Jesus' time in the wilderness where he spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and seeking God and and saying no to the devil and standing up against temptation. And so what we see about Lent is that it's a time to search our hearts and to renew the call to pursue holiness in our lives. Now, I know we're going into Easter, and this is supposed to be a time of celebration. We're supposed to be preparing ourselves for hunting for eggs and eating chocolate and and all those kind of things, bunny rabbits and all that kind of stuff. Not sure where that came from, right? How do we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Let's go hunt eggs. I I don't know. Um, But we do recognize that this is a time in which we turn our attention towards the cross. And I know I want it to be a time of celebration, but it also has to be a time of contemplation. It has to be a time of preparation. It has to be a time in which as we turn our eyes towards the cross, we recognize that it is a serious moment in our lives. Now, I know 
in the last few months, I have kind of preached some sermons that have uh, meant to challenge you and maybe uh, offend you if I can or make you angry in some way. And I'm not trying to be mean, uh, but I honestly feel like that we are, Jesus is coming soon. How many of you, how many of you believe that? I believe Jesus is coming soon, and, and honestly, we need to be a people that are prepared and are ready. We need to be a people who are prepared and ready. And we live in a culture, we live in a society and, and a time where we don't take that serious enough. You know, the Bible says that it, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And we try to compare the days of Noah's sins to the, to the sins of today. And really, as Ecclesiastes says, there's really nothing new under the sun. When Jesus talked about the days of Noah, he's not really talking about how sinful it was. He was talking about the fact that the day, in the days of Noah, no one was paying attention. Amen. Noah was preaching a message. Hey, God's judgment is coming, but nobody listened. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. But one of the reasons I believe that traditionally Protestant churches haven't really followed Lent is because I believe that Lent really should be a lifestyle. It shouldn't be a 40-day time span on the calendar. But I do believe that we should take this time as we turn our attention to Easter and, and remind us of what the call is during this season, that this is a season of preparation. This is a season to clean house. Now, as we know, the first day of spring comes in March. Can anybody say amen? amen. I, am, I am a sun person. I am a warm person. I went and watched some soccer games last night, and I was mad about it because it was cold. I like warm weather. So spring is coming. And, and so we know that with spring comes the old tradition of what we call spring cleaning. How many of you do spring cleaning? Some of you do spring cleaning every other day, right? <laughs> Kelly's probably spring cleaning right now, and she's still here. Some of you have got to, probably got a Roomba right now rolling around your house, don't you? Right. Now, we're not, I'm not, we're not even really sure where the tradition of spring cleaning came from, but they, some researchers believe it started with the Persian New Year, which normally falls on the first day of spring. Iranians, to this day, still continue the practice of shaking the house uh, just before the Persian New Year. Another possibility has been suggested that the origins of spring cleaning date all the way back to the ancient Jewish tradition of thoroughly cleansing the home in anticipation of the celebration of Passover in remembrance of the uh, uh, Israelites uh, fleeing from East, uh, Egypt and the captivity there. They, they, they have a week-long observance of the Passover holiday, and there are strict prohibitions against eating or drinking anything which has leaven in it or is fermented. The Jews are not only supposed to refrain from leavened foodstuffs, which is called kemetz, they are expressly commanded to rid their homes of even small remnants of kemetz for the length of the holiday. Therefore, an observant Jew to this day will conduct a thorough spring cleaning of the house followed by a traditional hunt for kemetz crumbs throughout the house by candlelight the evening before the holiday of Passover begins. So they, they're basically cleaning their house of all the leaven that can be found in the house. Traditionally, the Catholic Church will thoroughly cleanse the church altar 
and everything associated with it on the Thursday before Easter, which is known as Maundy Thursday. Uh, spring cleaning persists today in Greece and in Orthodox traditions. It's traditional to clean the house thoroughly, either right before or during what they call the week of Great Lent, which is also refer referred to as Clean Week. During the 19th century uh, in America, uh, prior to basically having vacuum cleaners, right? Prior to having vacuum cleaners, March was often the best time to do dusting because you can open up the windows. It's warm enough to open up the windows and still cool enough that the insects don't fly in. And so you can open up the windows and allow the wind to actually blow the dust and the dirt out of the house. And this time of the year was also when the coal furnaces would not run. And so you could wash the soot from the walls. How many of you would enjoy watching soot off your walls and furniture left by the furnace? So even in modern times, you can open the windows and do cleaning that contains chemicals. Um, you know, you learn things as you're growing up. As a young person, when I first started living by myself, and uh, I was cleaning the bathroom, and I had sprayed some, I had sprayed some bleach, and I saw some rust, so I decided to go get some CLR and. Y'all know all this now, and I found it out, and you can't mix anything with bleach. I sprayed that thing with CLR and created a toxic cloud in the bathroom. I was rolling down the hallway trying to keep from dying. I didn't have any windows open. Some of you, some of you your house needs clean more often than others. Uh, I've got I've got two boys and I don't know I don't know about you but for some reason when you have two boys I I, I can literally get down on my hands and knees and clean the entire bathroom and get up and I'm like I I, I still smell pee <laughs> it's somewhere in here I'm like did y'all pee on the carpet in the hallway what is the smell. You'll find out. I believe that as we turn our attention to the Easter season, we need to recognize the need to do some spring cleaning in our own hearts. This is a season to shake the house, to open the windows and let the wind of the Holy Spirit blow dust and dirt out. It's time to hunt for the comets crumbs that, and rid them from our homes. It's time to clean the soot off the walls. It's time to clean the altar of our hearts in preparation for the presence of God. It's a season to clean house. The passage that we read here in Matthew is right after Jesus' triumphant in, uh, entry into Jerusalem that we celebrate on Palm Sunday. Obviously, you're going to hear about this later during this month. His ride into the city is the beginning of what we call the Passion Week and is a fulfillment of prophecy from the book of Zechariah that the king would come riding in on a, on a donkey. And he is praised and celebrated by the people as the one who has come in the name of the Lord. So this is obviously a highlight of the Passion Week. Because this is basically on Monday, he comes riding into town and the people are praising him and shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Or, this is actually on Sunday, I'm sorry. He comes in on, on Sunday, everybody's shouting and hollering and praising. And I don't know about you, but that's a good day. That's a good day for Jesus. Everybody's praising him. Everybody's lifting him up. The, the religious leaders get all mad. and They're like, do you hear what these people are saying? And Jesus said, out of the mouth of babes shall... Praise be perfected, right? 
He even makes a statement that if these don't cry out, then the stones will have to cry out to praise who he is. And so this is a highlight of the Passion Week. What really blows me away is that there's a possibility that some of the same people that were in that crowd praising him on Palm Sunday were in the same crowd on Friday calling for his crucifixion. Within five days, they went from being worshipers to killers. In five days. So after this worship service, after this highlight, right? The next day, Jesus goes to the temple. You'd think he'd be coming in, giving everybody a high five, saying thanks for the praise. That was an awesome worship service. Good job, Greg Boggs. That was fantastic. But instead of doing that, what does Jesus do? He comes in and turns tables over. Now, we don't have it listed here, but in one of the, the, most scholars believe that there were actually two cleansings of the temple because in the book of John, it's listed in chapter 2. In chapter 2 of the book of John, he made whips and actually drove the people out of the temple with whips. So here's Jesus coming in. And instead of giving everybody high five and chest bumps and sitting down in the sanctuary and saying, let's praise Jesus because that's who I am, he comes in and turns tables over and starts knocking money all over the place. Why? Because he wanted to restore the holiness and purpose of the temple area. He cleansed the temple. He cleaned house. Now, here's one of the things that I hope that we all understand about Jesus entering our hearts. In our culture that we live in, what we typically see is nice Jesus, don't we? Nice Jesus. Jesus loves everyone. Jesus is nice and kind. Jesus is the one who wants to be your buddy. Jesus doesn't challenge you or, or, or judge you. I mean, I know that, that judging is the ultimate sin in our culture. Jesus doesn't judge us when he walks into our hearts but in my experience, when Jesus walks into my heart, typically he starts kicking stuff over. Y'all ever had that experience before? If you haven't, you might not have met him. <laughs> right? I mean, when, when, when John finally got a full revelation of Jesus uh, in the book of Revelation, he turned around and saw eyes like fire and hair like wool and feet of brass. And when he spoke, it sounded like the sound of a thousand waterfalls. And when he turned around, he didn't give Jesus high five. What did he do? He fell to the ground. Typically, any true, deep, real, powerful revelation of who Jesus Christ is is going to cause a shaking of our house. It's going to cause a, a cleansing to take place. Jesus cleaned the house. And as we contemplate the cross during this season... I want us to remember why the cross was even necessary. Why was the cross necessary? Because sin has infected the entire human race. And sin separates us from God. There's no one in this sanctuary today that has not been affected by its curse. What, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, as we would like to call it, if you have not been born again, if you have not surrendered your life to Christ, then sin still separates you from God. Our sinful hearts lead us to the way of destruction, lead us to the way of death, the Bible says. 
The consistent pull of our flesh and the pull of the world leads us away from a God who desires us to know him. So Jesus came as a sacrifice for our sins. He came to give his life a ransom for many, to open the way to come back to God, to know him as father as we are made children by grace through faith. How many of you have experienced this amazing grace? We call it amazing because sin's so ugly. We call it amazing because sin is so destructive and so damaging. We recognize the beauty of grace because we understand the ugliness of sin. And so as we go into this Easter season, and as we start seeing, you'll, you'll start seeing like shows on the History Channel, and you'll see magazines at the grocery store, and it'll say things like, who was the real Jesus, and you know, why do we celebrate Easter, and Easter's a pagan holiday, and all these kind of things. You're going to see all kinds of stuff in which they try to attack the faith. And as we turn our attention to the cross, you're going to see people who are going to downplay sin and, and talk about how the church is antiquated and outdated because we call things sin. But we know, those of us who have experienced grace understand the damage of sin. We understand the ugliness of sin. So as we prepare for the Easter season, God calls us to search our hearts, to let his light shine into the depths of our soul and to challenge our hidden sins and the idols of our hearts. It's a season of repentance, a, a, a taking seriously the sin that can so easily pollute our hearts. It's a season of recognizing how we've allowed the culture around us to affect how we live and how we see the world, of recognizing how the world can pull us towards compromise and watering down our faith. It's a season of cleaning the house. A few weeks ago, I, I read a list of sins, and sometimes it's uncomfortable when you start talking about specific sins. I've said this before. It's easy for us to preach a sermon about generic sin because we're all like, yeah, that's right, sin. Yeah. And then you're always, <laughs> you're always thinking about somebody else in the sanctuary, aren't you? You're always like, yeah, that's sinner, right? I hope they're hearing this, that's sinner, right? Right? You know, it's not until the pastor or the preacher or the teacher or whatever starts ask, talking about specific sins and we start getting all uncomfortable. Like, hey, he's been up in my business. He's been, he's been stalking me on Facebook. Who's this guy I think he is? And I'll be honest with you, in the day and age that we live in, in social media world, it is hard to preach sermons and not be worried about the fact that one of you guys think I'm talking about you. Right? It, there have been times, I'll be honest with you, God forgive me, because I shouldn't do this. There have been times I've been preparing sermons, and I think of something, and I write it down, and then when I read it again, I'm like, if I read that, so-and-so is going to punch me in the face. <laughs> and I didn't write it because I was thinking about you, but now I am. <laughs> I'll never forget, I had someone come to me in the office when we still had the academy, and she said, if you had something to say to me, I wish you would have just said it to me instead of preaching it in a sermon. <laughs> I'm not lying. I started going through my head trying to think of all the sermons I just preached. I'm like, what is she talking about? I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, I think you do. I'm not. <laughs> she wasn't joking either. I said, well, I apologize. Maybe you need to repent. I don't know what to tell you. It's easy for us to talk about sin in general 
But there does have to come a time when we've got to clean our own house. When we have to spend less time pointing out the problems of our world and recognize the, own, the, the darkness in our own hearts. To, start, to stop screaming at the sinners out there and start dealing with the sinners in here. How many of you know that a sick church can't heal a sick world? Judgment begins where? In the house of God. Judgment begins in the house of God. The old Petra song says, Everything that can be shaken will be shaken from within. You better have your house in order when the shaking begins. Jesus made sure to restore holiness to the temple. He made it a, a house of purity by driving out the exploitive money changers who were taking advantage of God's people. What they were doing in the temple was not even inherently sinful by itself. It was obviously during the, the season of Passover and Jews would come from all over the world to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover and they would want to bring a sacrifice and instead of bringing the animal with them over the many miles that they traveled, they would come to Jerusalem and buy their sacrifice there. And so what was happening is, is people were setting up in the temple to sell sacrificial animals and they were selling them at high prices because they knew the people needed them. And they were taking especially advantage of those who were in poverty when they were selling turtle doves. And so you had, you had this exploitive thing happening within the temple which was supposed to be a place of sacrifice and worship and praise and, and, and at the presence of God. And instead, this was happening. It can be uncomfortable and it can be hard work to clean the house. Now, we all know that if we consistently clean our home, it's a lot easier, isn't it? It's a lot easier. But when you've gone two weeks without doing laundry, then all of a sudden, you're being attacked by laundry. Right? If you leave stuff dirty for a while, then you've got to put a little bit more elbow grease in it to get it clean, don't you? You might have to empty the vacuum cleaner more than once. Right? You know what I'm talking about. If you let things go too long, it becomes that much harder. And that's why I say Lent should be a lifestyle. We shouldn't have to wait till the Easter season to take a little bit of a checkup of our spiritual lives and see where our hearts are. Because when we do that, it becomes that much harder. And it becomes uncomfortable. But we recognize from this passage that there are wonderful blessings when we allow God to clean our house. The first thing that we see happening here is Jesus moves into the temple. And there are four things that I want to mention. Number one, he restores it as a house of purpose. The distraction of the money changers had kept the people from seeing the true purpose of the temple. What was meant to be a place where God's people could seek his face and bring their sacrifices had turned into a place of personal profit. Sin is always a distraction from our true purpose. Sin will always distract us from the purpose for which God has called us to walk in. And obviously, our, 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 our walk is a walk of faith. It's a walk in the spirit. It's a walk in the light. It's a walk in love. These are the purposes of God for our life, to be a light, to be salt in the world, that we are called to be holy as he is holy. 
right? So this is our beginning purpose. God may have specific things that we do for our life, but our beginning purpose is to walk in holiness, to walk in love, to walk in the light, to walk in the truth, to be holy as he is holy, to be salt and light in the earth, to be ambassadors for Christ. This is the purpose of the temple of God, but sin distracts us from that true purpose. Some of us have spiritual ADHD. We're easily distracted by the world and by the flashy symbols, right? <sighs> right? How many of you have driven through Las Vegas? It's distracting. It's distracting as you're driving down the street. Look at that. Look at that. And that's the lights of sin. You know, the Bible tells us that the enemy can appear as an angel of light. So we recognize that sin is a distraction. It binds us, it, it blinds us, I'm sorry, from the true joy of being the house of God where his spirit dwells. Cleaning the house restores the purpose of God for our lives. It gets us back in line. It, it allows us to clear our headspace. Do you know that that psychologists and counselors actually say that, that on a gloomy day, like when the sun's not out and you're having like seasonal depression, some of you are finally coming out of that seasonal depression because it gets dark at five and you just want to punch yourself in the face, right? And as spring rolls around, it's, we start getting happier. It raises our serotonin levels and all that kind of stuff. Sunlight is good for you, right? But counselors actually say on gloomy days, one of the things that you can do to break some of that cycle in your life is clean your house. Clean your house. Because it allows you to get rid of clutter, which also clutters your mind, and it allows you to feel like you've accomplished something. Amen. Right? Cleaning our house spiritually, I believe, puts us in a place where we recognize and can hear God's voice and be able to walk in His purpose for who we are. Number two... Because And these are the purposes of God's house. Number two, he restored it to a house of prayer. Jesus comes in and says, My father's house is supposed to be called a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. This is the first purpose of the house, and it is the first result of our house becoming a house of purity. Right? So Jesus comes in and cleanses the house. He turns it into a house of purity, and when he turned it into a house of purity, it became a house of prayer. It became a house of prayer because that is the purpose of the house of God. We are called to be people of prayer, people who seek the heart of God. Folks, prayer is like breathing to the followers of Christ. Prayer is like breathing. In other words, we can no longer exist as a human being without breathing. We cannot exist as a Christian without praying. Some of us wonder why we can't live victoriously. Some of us wonder why we're always discouraged. Some of us wonder why we always feel like we can't get where God wants us to go. Let's start with our prayer life. Let's start with a prayer life. Because prayer is like... Going? You gonna keep me going? Keep me alive? So the first, there I am. So prayer changes us. It changes the world around us. 
See, the genuineness of our Christianity is measured by how genuine our prayer lives are. During the season, prayer is what places our hearts in God's presence for his cleansing work. It's what places us where God is and what God wants to do in our lives. Prayer is where we learn to know God and learn to follow him and and understand him. Prayer is where we learn to grow strong in our faith and where we learn to hear his voice. Prayer is where the kingdom of darkness is rocked and shaken. Prayer is where we ask God to intervene in our world. Prayer is supernatural. Prayer is powerful. It is literally the most powerful thing we can do as the people of God. Never underestimate any minute of prayer. Never underestimate the power of God in your life. One of my favorite quotes in all of history is Mary, Queen of Scots. And she quoted, she said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the armies of Scotland. I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the armies of Scotland. Why? Even she understood the power of a praying person. The devil understands the power of a praying person. This church exists and is successful and reaches people and touches people's lives because there are saints in this church that have prayed and prayed and prayed for this church. And because of that, God moves and touches lives. Number three, another purpose as he changes it into a house of purpose. Number three is a house of power. When the house is restored to its true purpose through purity and through prayer, it naturally becomes a place of power. When Jesus cleansed the temple and then declared its prayerful purpose, this is the purpose of the house of God, is meant to be a house of prayer, the blind and the lame, the Bible says, came into the temple and he healed them. Now this wasn't happening until the cleansing took place. Right? There were no blind and lame coming in, getting healed by the Pharisees or the scribes or the Sadducees. Nobody was seeing that happen. It wasn't until, of course, Jesus walked into the house. I mean, you know, when Jesus walks in, everything changes. Jesus walks into the house and cleanses the temple and makes it pure and restores its purpose that now the blind and the lame receive their healing from him. I'm not trying to be religious. I'm not trying to to beat you down, but God, God's power rests on the pure and prayer-filled life. Holiness leads to power. The Holy Spirit, church, came first to make us holy. That's why he's called the Holy Spirit. Right? Most of the time in Pentecostal circles, when we think about the Holy Ghost, we think about Ronda Shanda, and I want to jump up and down, roll around on the floor. I want to lay hands on the sick. I want to see miracles happen. That's why the Holy Ghost came. He came first to make us holy. To sanctify us, to set us apart. Church, beware of a person who claims to be operating in God's power but does not have holy character. Anybody who claims to be speaking for God or operating in God's power or operating in God's gifts but does not walk in holy character, is pulling the wool over our eyes. We are meant to walk in power by giving room for the Spirit to work in our hearts. Here's the thing many times. It's not that God 
can't bless us. God can do anything he wants. And I, and I guarantee you there have been times in your life that God has blessed you when, when you've been at war with him. How many of you know that every time he blesses you, you didn't deserve it? Right? I mean, so there's no reason for us to all act like the reason why I'm blessed is because my house is cleaner than yours. <laughs> Some of y'all need a blessing, God bless your heart, because your house is so dirty. God needs to send angels to help you run the vacuum, for God's sakes. Right. But it's, sometimes it's not that God can't bless us. It's just that we're not making room for him. How many of you have ever been in a hurry? You've got somebody's coming that weren't expected to come. The pop-in happens. And you've got dishes all over the place, and you open up the oven, and you just throw them in there. <laughs> Shut the oven door. Now, maybe y'all have never done that, but I have. <laughs> I've grabbed Tupperware and thrown it in the oven. But how many of you know when you go to bake something, <laughs> you might want to make sure you get the stuff out. I had to buy a new rack because I melted a Tupperware. I just turned the oven on, didn't look. I opened it up, it was all wrapped around, it looked like. Well, so much for baked chicken. But you can't put anything in the oven when it's full of stuff, right? Some of us are still trying to stuff, shove, stuff, shove, shove stuff. Shove stuff in a closet that we can't even shut the door anymore, right? How's God going to be able to move in a house that we don't give him room? How can the power of God reach us? When we have polluted ourselves and pushed him out and left no room for him to actually work in our lives. Right? You can even come to the altar and we can lay hands on you and we can, we can put enough oil on you. You look like a grease pig at a county fair. <laughs> but if you don't make room for God, I, I don't care if we bring prophet bucket mouth in here and he lays hands on you. And speaks words over you. If you don't make room for God. His power can't reach you. Sometimes we have to clean house. And number four. Finally it's a house of praise. This is always the ultimate purpose of the house. Our house is meant to be a place of praise. Of worship. Of thanksgiving. And song to our God. Yes. Here in this church as we gather. We gather together to worship. We gather together to praise. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. When we come to this place, we come with our hearts turned towards God, towards heaven, to praise and to worship the Lord. But we have to always remember we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are the house of God. The Spirit of God dwells in our temple. And so we are to be people of praise. We are to be people of worship. And I know that Greg probably talks about this, but if you're on this platform and you're in the worship team, but you don't worship in your daily life, then you probably shouldn't be on the worship team. Because you can't lead people where you haven't been. If we're going to lead people into worship, then if we're on this platform, we should be daily worshipers. But as the people of God, we should continually be people of praise, people of worship, people of gratefulness and thankfulness. No matter what the culture is, no matter what the circumstances is, 
like the song that we sang at the beginning, I'm going to praise him when I feel like it and when I don't. Because praise is not determined by circumstances. Worship is not determined by how I feel. It's determined by who he is and what he's doing in our lives. You know, some people might say, well, Mark, you know, I get a little demonstrative in my praise. I understand. I clap my hands. You know, I lift my hands. I jump up and down every once in a while. I was out of breath this morning. I was out of breath. Of course, I'm out of shape, but I was also out of breath. I'm singing my heart out. I'm singing loud. I'm clapping my hands. I'm praying. And I've heard people say, Mark, I wish I could worship like you. Then do it. I mean, I'm not, you don't have to worship like me, but if you're going to say, hey, Mark, I wish I could worship like you, you know what it is? It's a choice. You choose to worship. You choose to praise. See, here's the lie of the enemy. The lie of the enemy tells us that cleaning house is too hard, and he convinces us that if we hoard things that we don't need, that that's going to make us happier. Some of you are, are, are just a little bit of a hoarder, right? All of us probably have things in our house that we have. They have no purpose for being there. Now, I understand Kelly doesn't. Kelly just destroys everything, comes through with a flamethrower. <laughs> Kelly would throw out the kids if she did. She, you've lost your purpose, get out. But all of us probably have little knickknacks around the house that we consistently move and have to dust, and we're like, well, I don't even remember what this thing is. We can't let go of it. Some of us, we still have pieces of wood that you know you're not going to use. You've got some crown molding somewhere out in the garage. One of these days, I'm going to need it. No, you're not. Right? And in our own spiritual lives, we hoard stuff. We hide things back. We keep things in certain rooms that we don't want God to see. God, I'm going to put this here. I'm going to keep that there. I might need that. I might need to fall back on this, right? Because it's more comfortable to go back to Egypt than it is to keep moving forward in the things of God. Sin always tells us that it's better to hang on to it than to declare war on sin that needs to be eradicated from our lives. But it is a life of restored purpose, of purity and power that brings us the most joy and the greatest satisfaction. Never forget, the enemy is always going to tell you that sin is what's going to satisfy you. It is a lie of the devil. Your greatest joy and greatest satisfaction is found in his purpose. It's found in purity. It's found in cleaning the house. Because this produces a grateful heart of praise. It produces a heart of surrender to the God who only desires the best for our lives. Have this confidence today. That God's conviction on our life is not meant to embarrass us or to condemn us. God's conviction is to cleanse us so that we can know the greatest joy and the greatest fulfillment and the greatest satisfaction that we could ever know. Have confidence that God wants the best for your life. So as we move towards the cross during this Easter season, let us search our hearts in the light of His grace. Let us take the opportunity to allow God to search our hearts and motivate us to clean house. This is what restores His purpose in our lives through His grace. This is what prepares us for Easter. This is what turns our heart to the cross in recognition of what 
Christ did for us. So as we feel his conviction during this season, as God steps into our temple and maybe starts pointing out some tables that need to be turned over, starts pointing out some things that need to be driven out of our lives, let's not run, let's not hide. Let's allow the light of God to expose us and run to his grace. Run to his grace and let him change us from the inside out. Why don't you bow your heads with me here this morning. Father, how grateful we are to be here. Thankful for your goodness towards us. Thank you, Lord, that you love us above all things. And that God, because you love us, you want to clean our house. Because you love us, you want to challenge the sin and the idols of our heart. Because you love us, God, you want the best for us. And the best for us is righteousness and holiness and purity. Thank you, Lord. Convict us this morning, we ask. Lord, let us not hide behind our sins. Let us not hide behind our justifications for our sins. Let us not hide behind our excuses. But Lord, we pray that your spirit would speak to us. That you would open up our heart to every hoarded place, to every sinful knick and item that we've held on to. Challenge us here this morning, God, to clean our house so that you might be glorified by our lives, so that your purpose might be restored to your house, that we might be a house of purity and prayer, power and praise. We might be a house, oh God, that honors you through the life that we live. Thank you, Jesus. Speak to your people, Holy Spirit.